Hello and welcome back to Weird Wessex. I'm your host Craig Brooks and my co-host is Andrew Stevens. Hello. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, not too bad. It's a bit cold here. Can you see my breath? I was going to say, have you got a ghost there or, you know, is there some kind of uh, spectral activity? This is the level of dedication for this show. I've come out to the shed. (laughs) (laughs) You've been banished to the shed, admit it. Yeah, (laughs) happens quite a lot. Um, oh yeah, how's your week been? It's uh yeah, apart from the plague, um, it's 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 been pretty good. I've uh yeah, so if I uh hack and cough, I will probably be around for the next podcast. I hope, but uh yeah, had uh COVID and then a chest infection, and yeah, it's it's um, but it has given me a little bit of time to read up on some stuff to chat about tonight. So. So you've brought four hours worth of material for today. Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm going to condense <laughs> it into uh, half an hour minutes. of rambling. Ah, fair enough. So you you did just suggest that you might die soon, but you, if you do, I promise now we will hold a seance. Yeah, please on do. The on the date of my death. Or Halloween, like Houdini, because it's just kind of cooler being on Halloween. I, I was thinking every episode. Every episode, <laughs> just get a guest in every time to like, yeah, try, yeah. And, uh, try and contact me. Well, I figure that what we do is we contact you, but that means that in the afterlife, you still need to find some weird news. I was gonna say, how do I? I mean, I, I guess I'd be privy to weird news, you know, being in the afterlife, like you know, front row seat. Yeah, do maybe it. I'll just start thinking <laughs> you. <laughs> that would be uh. Good material, at least. <laughs> we wouldn't have to do a Zoom call. We'd both be there. <laughs> yeah, you're just like hovering behind me. <laughs> right. So you're on some medicinal tea today, is it? I am on the medicinal tea. There is not my usually I've got tea with me, but there's no um yeah, there's there's no mead or beer this time. I'm being good. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're not well, then probably best. That's it. That's it. It's yeah. uh, a fusion of I don't know how many herbs. I'm sure most of them aren't toxic. Hopefully not. <laughs> I had a tea, but um, I'll be honest. Whilst I was setting up, I've let it go cold. So I am gonna quickly switch to beer. Nice. What's what's the beer? Um, it's a meadow sweet homebrew. Nice. Obviously, obviously, it's homebrew. I've got meadow sweet in my tea. It's it's nearly the same. It's a good one because it's medicinal. It it's um got the same ingredients as aspirin in it. So got a headache or anything? Meadow sweet's good for that. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about today? What have you got for us? So I have a haunting story. Um, it is a poltergeist story actually, and it's. It does date back quite a way. Um, now, I know you were looking at similar stuff, I think. Um, I have been looking at some Poltergeist stuff, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think yours is a bit more modern. Um, but, Depends uh, how far back you go. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Well, mine takes place in the late 1800s. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um in the late 1800s, in a village called Derweston, which is close to Blandford. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Nope. I know Blandford. Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Um, there lived an old lady in a cottage. Her name was Mrs. Best. 
And one night she was lying in bed, just staring at the ceiling, couldn't sleep. Um, she was a widow. She'd been so for a few years. Uh, she wasn't lonely, though. Not because, uh, that, I mean, she had like plenty of friends in the village. She had, uh, she thought was well thought of. Uh, everyone thought she had a good heart and a good head on her shoulders. And yeah, she got on with everyone. Uh, the reason she wasn't lonely, though, was because just next door to her, she had two girls. Um, they weren't her kids. Um, her and her husband had never had children. Um, these were two children that she'd fostered. Uh, they were both orphans. The oldest one was called Anna, and the youngest one, the name's been lost to the depths of time, so we don't know that one. But That's a bit of a weird detail, that one name's known and the other's not. I know, right? Um but um, so she, she was lying in bed and she couldn't sleep because there was a load of noise coming, uh, a lot of bangs and knocks. Now, first of all, she thought it was just people moving around, like the, the kids moving around. But then the knocks were sort of regular, sort of over and over. Now she thought, OK, the girls are playing up, you know, they're, they're messing around. So she goes next door and tells them to stop and they insist they're not doing anything. So, you know, she gives him the side eye, goes back to bed, and the knocks keep coming. So she goes back into the room and says, look, I told you to stop. You've got to go to sleep. And and they're insisting, no, you know, we're not doing anything. We heard them too. And she really thinks they're, you know, her first suspicion is they're, they're just trying to play a trick on her. But then they all stop because once more... They heard it again. They all heard it. They're all in the same room. None of them did it. And so they start looking around the house. They start looking out of the windows, uh, going downstairs. But there's no one around. It was late at night. And they just sort of pass it off as, that's weird, go to bed. But the next night, exactly the same thing starts happening. Uh, along with that, they're hearing scratches on the walls as well. Um, now, you know, that could be rats or something, but rats don't tend to knock, not even back in the 1800s. So they started getting quite concerned. Um, it all got to a point where they actually asked their neighbour. Now, Mrs. Best lived in a cottage on the estate of a uh, Viscount Portman, and they lived in one of two cottages. One belonged to them, one belonged to a guy called Mr. Newman, who was the gamekeeper for the estate. And they brought him over and said, look, you know, we're at our wit's end. Can you have a look? Tell us we're not going mad. And he came in because he'd heard that a boot had come from the garden, where it was out in the garden for some reason, had come flying through and hit the wall. And this is a direct quote, apparently. He shouted out the direction the boot came from. He shouts, you're a coward, throw money next time, which I, I thought was a great reaction to a poltergeist lobbing something, <laughs> personally. Um, so it got weirder. So apparently now the account comes later, which I'll, I'll talk about in due course. Mm. Mr. Newman sat down after shouting at this, this entity and a series of small seashells came floating into the room. Now, the way he describes it is if they were, if they'd been thrown, they were moving far too slowly and they would have fallen down. They floated into the room and one after the other, they hit him not hard. They just mm. tapped him and fell to the ground. After that, a couple of thimbles came flying out at him as well. Then a pencil landed in his lap. It came, skidded across the floor, flew up and landed in his lap. Um, he, he stood up when a boot, I'm guessing the other boot, the one that had been thrown earlier, came flying in, again quite slowly, 
uh, he, he describes it as hovering a foot off the ground and it drops just in front of him. So he picks his boot up, throws it out, walks out, goes and stands on the boot and says, I defy anything to move this boot. Nothing happens. He steps away and the account goes that the boot flies up behind him and knocks his hat off. So this was all too much. He he said, okay, you can't be here anymore. He took Mrs. Best. He took Anna and her sister. They stayed with him. Soon after that, uh, word got around. And the Society for uh, Psychical Research, which I've yes. just learned about. Which, yeah, uh, yeah, I know them. Which are still going. You know, they're still a, still a thing. Yeah. Um, so they, they arrived at the scene. Um, a chap called uh, Mr. Westlake, was leading the investigation. Now, um, they they interviewed people. That's how they found out about Mr. Newman's account. And they talked to the girls. They recommended it be looked at further. And so a short while after that, the schoolmaster, um, who went by the name of Mr. Shepherd, and a guy called... Um, Reverend Anderson, the local rector of the local church, they both came in. So Mr. Shepherd and Mr. Anderson, Reverend Anderson came in and they decided, you know, they're fairly level-headed people, especially mm. the schoolmaster. He liked to think of himself as a man of science. So he said, okay, we'll put this to the test. Now, he listened to the knocks and he admitted that he had no idea where they were coming from, but he didn't rule out it was somehow the children playing a joke. They asked the entity, so this was on the advice of the Cycle Society, um, they asked the entity whether they wanted to um, them to fetch a some slate for writing. So the with knocks, you know, one knock for yes, two knocks for no, the tried and tested method, this entity said yes. And... When they asked uh, this entity where they wanted to do it, you know, sort of upstairs, downstairs, one knock, two knocks. Eventually, this led them to the bedroom that the girls stayed in, and mm. it let it be known that they had to leave. Uh, only the girls and Mrs. Best could stay there. Now, that, that gets a little bit suspicious, you know? However, uh, the Reverend and Mr. Anderson swear to this, they told the girls and Mrs. Best very specifically, stay on these beds. Do not move from these beds. I'm going to put this um, slate and this chalk um, the other side of the room. Mm. Uh, we'll see what happens and we'll come up and check. And so periodically they came up and checked. Now, firstly, the account said, now I've got a copy of the account here. This is a great book called Mysterious Dorset. Ooh, nice. Incidentally, that is the Screaming Skull from uh, the episode <laughs> that we cool. did uh, previously. I actually thought you were about to pull out a chalk slate and do some like... <laughs> <laughs> I should have done, I should have done. Um, so he said he noticed it frequently ceased when he came into the room, but after a short time it made no difference and the knocking was continue continuing when he went into the room. Mm. Um so this was at 2.30 a.m. and the witness waited below the stairs. <laughs> Amid perfect silence, we all heard the pencil scratch in the slate, Mr. Anderson said. The slightest movement by any one of the bed would have been detected by me in a moment, but I'm absolutely certain 
that the writing could not have been done by anyone in the room without my knowing it. I told Mrs. Best that I myself was convinced that no one had moved the, uh, in the bed, much less from it, but people would say such had been the case. She said she was prepared to take a solemn oath that none of them had moved or left the bed, which was some four feet or more from the window where the slate was. Five times the group left the room. Each occasion brought the scratches to the slate, one with a flourish of beautifully drawn curves such as a child could produce, and twice with actual words, the words being money, although that's spelled M-O-N-Y, and garden. No more was heard that night, but the poltergeist was still very active, and the two orphan girls were taken to another home in the village, where the raps and noises were continuing to be heard until they were eventually separated. Um, it goes on to say that when they were separated, one sister experienced it, or I think Annie didn't, or it was the other way around. But uh, yeah, apparently, so you, you hear these things about poltergeists being attached to people rather than places sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently one girl was still experiencing it and the other one didn't. But that's as far as that story goes. But that was actually recorded not only in the society's notes, but also it was written about in several newspapers at the time as well. Mm. So what's your verdict? Do you think they were making it up? Do you think it was... I think we should do a verdict at the end because I've got some some thoughts and, yeah, I think we should see where it goes once I've told you what I've got. Okay, okay. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, essentially that is around about it. Um, oh, there you go, Anne Cleave. There you go, it does, does actually have the full name. Anne Cleave, the older child, was removed from the house uh, of a spinster. I love it's just straight out calling her a spinster. Um, there were disturbances again that continued, noises being heard. A big stone was flung on the roof of the porch and snowdrops were strewn about the garden. Such trouble followed the unfortunate Anna. So it was Anne that actually experienced it, sorry, not her younger sister. But on the 7th of March, Miss uh, M.H. Uh, Mason, a board inspector responsible for foster children, came to the house and took the girl to stay with her in a London flat for a week. No disturbances worth mentioning occurred during the week, and Miss Mason had the child examined by a doctor who pronounced her markedly consumptive tendency and apparently hysterical. Hmm. Anne's fate is not known after this, but she did have an elder sister who died from tuberculosis in the lungs before these happenings, uh, which, you know, might be planting that seed of who it could have been if it was. But, uh, yeah, so that is that is my poltergeist story. Yeah, because I've, I've made a few notes, but now that I'm looking at them and thinking about your story, I think we'll cover what I've got in my notes at the end and maybe give it a verdict. Okay. Yeah, so in part of my research, I came across a case, and I've been reading a book on a lady called Alma Fielding, which can be covered by Wessex. Um but it's interesting because it goes from a poltergeist thing to um, almost covering her journey into spiritualism. Okay. Which kind of ties in with some of the stuff you were just talking about. Yeah. So I'd like to cover her at some point, but I think it's going to need its own episode probably. I think it's probably, yeah, it's a proper book. Proper book. Proper book. Not so, one. No, <laughs> I've read a few chapters, um, but yeah, at some point we'll we'll visit Elmer Fielding, which will be tied in with this. But, but today, what I have for you is 
And I think we might have mentioned this on another episode. I was going to look into the Penhill Poltergeist. So most people probably listening never heard of Penhill. So it's actually an estate in Swindon, where I grew up. Um, no offence to people in Penhill. It is, it's got a reputation. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I have tried to contact some people that were involved with this story because they should, at least some of them should still be around, but I haven't had any luck on that front. But I did find some video footage from when one of the cases was on the BBC, which we can play for people in a bit, if you like. Um, so, yeah, so um, Penhill is fairly modern estate. It was built in the 1950s. And the site itself used to be where the local brewery used to get their water from for making the beer. I don't know why they stopped doing that and changed and then they built a housing estate, but they did. Poltergeist. Poltergeist. <laughs> Your beer was haunted. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so um, I've got two main cases that are unrelated but on the same estate about Penn Hill. And then a couple of smaller cases that we can mention in passing at the end. Sounds good. So the first one is the one that we've got clips for. All right, so it's a bit more modern than your case. So this is in 1973. There was a young couple named Dave and Cheryl Pellymounter. And they move into a small two-up, two-down house on Westbury Road. There are several occurrences that happen in the house. So they report feelings of being watched, radios turning themselves on, the cooker turning itself off, um, and belongings such as dummies and wallets being moved around. I always had the fear that I was being watched all the time. I don't know, I, I just couldn't explain it, but I kept looking around thinking there was someone there, you know. Very often you walk in a room and you, this feeling would just, just hit you. you, you know, you were aware that it, it, you know, there was something there and yet you couldn't see it. It's, it's hard to explain. Not a baby's dummy mainly, but I used to keep it in the steriliser there. And quite often I'd go to get one and it'd be gone. Then I'd look upstairs and see if he'd left it in his car at all. I'd come back down and it'd be back in there again, you know, things like this. And in the end I had to buy about three or four of them. And um, I took his dummy out of the cart and put it under the uh, chest of drawers and I brought him downstairs. And my wife wanted me to get the dummy and I went upstairs and it had gone. So I looked around the bedroom and I couldn't see it anywhere. And uh, I eventually looked in the steriliser unit, which is downstairs in the kitchen. And it was in there. Well, I hadn't even been to the steriliser unit. Quite often if I put something in the oven, it turned off, you know, and this caused quite a few arguments between me and my husband, you know, I thought it was him messing around. But um, the feeling that you got while you was in here is that you were being watched all the time. Uh, on one occasion, Cheryl hears a crash and finds a chair had been thrown across the kitchen floor. I heard the radio go off. I didn't take much notice of this. I thought, you know, the battery was going off. And after a few minutes, I heard a crash out here. And I came out here and the kitchen chair had been thrown across the room and it was over by the back door. And then I looked at the radio and the switch had been turned up. Uh, she also reports things like rattling handles. And the door handle, I was in here one evening cooking my husband's tea. I heard the door click, I, I just sort of looked round, and I looked again and the handle was turning, and the door was open. So I just ran over to the door and slammed it shut, and I stood there crying with my back to the door until my husband got home. And in the hallway, their three-year-old son refused to enter and would stand crying on the threshold. 
uh, and it's an area where they reported hearing whispering and rustling noises as if someone was walking by. So as I say, they did contact the local vicar and it wasn't the first time he'd been contacted about similar problems in the area. Um, so he calls in um, Canon Harmon from the local diocese and he performs an exorcism which was actually televised and it went out on a show called Leap in the Dark on the BBC. Whether we eat or drink, do all the glory of God. And thou shalt purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And I find that interesting because I've looked into uh, the use of hyssop in the Bible, and generally it's used mixed with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And it's used on multiple occasions to cleanse things like leprosy, That's cure things like leprosy. Um, yeah, I just kind of, not something you think of with Christianity, is that they're slaughtering lambs and wiping blood on shit. Well, I mean, there's quite a lot of, you know, the, the language... Um, around then it's you know a lot of it ties things like witchcraft and and um things are like to that to things like pestilence you know they're they're kind of seen as intertwined aren't they in a lot of ways peace and love there we go wow Terrifying, huh? Mm. It's like, um, I'd rather watch The Exorcist. <laughs> I was going to say, there was, um, did this happen before or after The Exorcist came out? <clears throat> uh, I reckon this is after, right? I mean, you say 73, at... was it? What was... Yeah, 73. When does The Exorcist come out? Before that? Need to Google that one. I have exercised the demons. Oh, 73, mate. 73. Oof. Coincidence. <laughs> um, I'll say they, they look very 70s. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I did laugh part way through because I thought the choice of editing was funny where they'd like zoom in on the, the dummies and. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> I'll say as poltergeist activity goes, like putting the dummies in the sterilizing like unit that's doing some work for you <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it's kind of helpful yeah yeah i did look into as well whether the exorcism worked like whether there was any follow-up occurrences and i can't find any references to it at all so once the tv crew leave it seems to okay seems to go away or at least for them oh as i say the Penhill Pottergeist does strike again. Maybe it's a different one. Um, so this actually happens, I think this is like a 10-minute walk away, but it's the same mistake. So at one point, it was the same field. So if we want to look at it from that angle, potentially something's lingering in the field. Maybe that's why the brewery gave it up. Um, <clears throat> so this happens on a road called Melksham Close. This one happens a little bit later in 1980 when Perry and Donna Boyce, Boycey, Boyce, I'm not sure which, um, <clears throat> they claim an invisible force tried to kill their three-week-old baby. 
Yeah, it That's... threw objects, it broke a door, and it switched lights on and off. Now, this one seems a little bit more aggressive, I guess. I mean, that's quite a headline. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, really going in with it there, with the, the yeah. attempted, you know, infanticide there. I started with moving bottles and dummies and... <laughs> yeah. Now they're trying Mobbing to kill a child. Three, three, we kill children. So, what I find most interesting with this case is when they tell the council, the council don't just investigate but they agreed to rehome the couple and to get an exorcism performed on the property is, um, it, and there is was, it the same diocese is it the same priest i don't know because you're looking at seven years later so it could be the same guy um but there is a quote from the council spokesperson who says that the couple are not telling lies about this house and we're going to rehouse them straight away. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so with this couple, the trouble begins as soon as they move in. Perry is quoted as saying that they were absolutely terrified. He says he woke up at the start to hear the dog was howling for dear life downstairs. And he could hear the door banging as though someone was trying to get in. The next morning, the attic door was open. The pantry door had been ripped open and the bolts on the back door were broken. Um, so, fearing for their situation, the couple got some friends and family to come and stay at the house with them, who also say that they experienced weird things. Uh, one of Donna's close friends is quoted as saying that she and Donna were making coffee in the kitchen when the door started to rattle as though someone was trying to get in. She says, we didn't stop to see, we just ran out of the kitchen as fast as we could. We resettled in the living room, only for the lights to flash on and off and a cassette recorder to levitate and hurtle 10 feet towards the baby's cot. Wow. Presumably that's where the headline came from. Yeah. The part of guys tried to kill my baby. Sounds like a uh, Daily Star headline that, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I think... I found the article on the Evening Advertiser website, so not quite the star, but almost <laughs> as bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's all I've got on that case, other than the fact that council said they'd rehome them and an exorcism would be performed. Um, so we don't know if it was performed or not, or whether it was successful? No. Um, and the thing is, I found... How many more? One, two, three, four, five more cases. But I can't access the original archive, so I, I don't know the full stories for these. But just to give you like some further date stamps on the area is in 63. So 10 years before the first case, there was an old Gazette and Herald article. Pottergeist terror for Penhill family. Um, which was reported about a family living on Westbury Road. Oh. Reporting their home was haunted by a ghost. They report hearing strange noises, shadows, and feeling like they're being watched. They also report objects being moved around on their own and the doors were opening and closing by themselves. So very similar to the second case on the same street. <clears throat> From there, we get to 
And I find this kind of interesting is so then in 1975, five years before the second case, a man living on Melksham Close, same street again, yep. reported his home was being haunted by a poltergeist. Um, he reports objects being thrown around, furniture being moved and doors being opened and closed by themselves. He also reports being scratched and pinched by an unseen force. Uh, that's a new one for these. Hmm. Um, so then, yeah, so then we've got the second case I gave, which was in, the, in 1980. So then we get beyond that. In 82, a woman living on Westbury Road reports that her home is being haunted by a ghost. The woman reports seeing a ghost of a young woman in her home. She also reports hearing strange noises and feelings of being watched. Then we go back, funnily enough, in 1990, we're back on Meltram Close. Can you see how they're alternating? Yeah. So in 1990, a family on Meltram Close reports that their home was being haunted by a poltergeist. They report objects being thrown around, furniture being moved, same stuff again. Um, oh, then they also report being scratched and pinched by an unseen force, which came up on the 75 case from the man. Yeah. That's... as well um, and the most recent one I found was in 2000 if you remember those days oh I do yeah wow um, and again we're back on Westbury Road so it's flipped back to the other street again where it's reported uh, it's a man reports seeing a man in his house and he also reports strange noises and feelings of being watched again very similar to the other cases yeah um but for some reason, the ghost seems to move from Westbury to Melksham every, what, five, ten years? Five, yeah, five years or so. I mean, I couldn't find any later than that. I wonder if any of these were in the same houses. That's the thing that I can't find out. It's hard oh, to I find, find out people... It's the same streets. Yeah, people don't tend to put their address on these things, do they, Chris? You wouldn't. Yeah. I think you could find out where the first case was based yeah. on the video footage i think you could work it out if you went there i mean it still looks fairly similar today i was there not that long ago um we are banging on people's doors and rattling their door handles and lobbing <laughs> things through their windows i'm just trying to bring it back you know the penhole part of this <laughs> but it's funny it's reported quite a lot but i only came across it recently and I've mentioned it to other people that live in the town who've never heard of it. So it's not like well known, but yet it seems to be fairly consistent on the same two streets. The kind of border to the, I suppose you'd call it on the west side of the estate. Yeah. But whether that makes any difference, because if it's coming from something that was there before. But all I can find is that the, the brewery used to own it. So I don't know. Was it some kind of horrible brewery that used to I don't know work their workers to death or something. Come on, there's right, got to be the brewery still going. Tragic backstory around then. There is I said we were talking about whether your case what I thought about your case and I said I'd come back to it at the end. So the one thing I notice is is similar age groups. I mean, both of the couples in my main stories were young couples. Yeah. 17, 18 year olds moving into their first house. They also have maybe not newborn, but young children. 
And there is a connection to activity going up through things like lack of sleep. Do people experience more poltergeist and ghostly activity when they've got newborn children? Yeah, and it's whether you put that down to um, you being more susceptible to it or whether it's attracted to that or whether it's just a case of you're not really thinking clearly and you see things that aren't really there or forget where you put things and swear they've been moved. Yeah, I mean, the Westbury Road, the Pelly Mountains case is well, a lot of their stuff to me sounds like baby brain. Yeah. It sounds like she's forgetting that she's done something. She forgot she put the oven on. She forgot where she put the dummies. It doesn't seem like that terrifying, does it? I mean, it's not things levitating and throwing at the baby. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, things levitating in front of you and a friend and hurtling across the room is a little bit different, you know, if they both saw that. Yeah, um, I did find someone who was potentially that person that was involved as well, but they're not responding to messages when I contact them. So maybe don't want to talk about it or, <laughs> or they think I'm a natural. <laughs> One of which are probably true. <laughs> Um, yeah, but what I was going to come back to with your case was the fact that it involves two young girls. Yeah. Because most cases that I've read about involve young girls. Yeah, they they do say women and younger women are more susceptible to seeing ghosts whether that, again, is whether it's a cultural thing, whether it's just something like, uh, you know, Bermuda Triangle thing where you say it and people start looking for that connection, you know. Um, but, yeah, you do find that in a lot of these stories. You do with the fairies as well. The old pictures of the fairies that were disproved and debunked, that yeah. was all young girls as well. Um, I think cause there's um, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Oh, yeah, 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 I'd know of it, I think. I think that was a, wasn't that a young girl as well, I think? Yes, I think you're right, actually. And that's sort of a poltergeist. She says it's a mongoose, but yeah. the activity is knocking and stuff. Like, it does always seem to be bored young girls, teenage girls. Is it the creative mind of a child? Is it, you know, sort of, it's kind of entered folklore that way, so people keep telling these stories that way? You know, there's a few there's a few reasons it could be, you know, could be that. Yeah. I mean, so um, in line with what I was saying about the girls as well is I did write down a quote I've just noted in my thing. Was in 1896, Frank Podmore conducts the first recorded methodical study of Pottergeist, concluding all of them are hoaxes often perpetrated by mischievous, unstable working class girls. Well, chuck some, chuck some <laughs> classism in with your misogyny. <laughs> so, but so that was something else I thought we should mention is a lot of cases of particularly famous cases of poltergeists. You're looking at council tenants, which kind of links back to him saying about working class girls. Yeah. And I feel like, and I, I I can address it, I guess, because I grew up on a council estate. Yeah, yeah, me so, too. So uh, it's not like 
being snooty about council estates, but I think almost every case I've ever seen has involved poor people or people living in council houses. I mean, don't think Mrs. Best was, you know, council houses weren't a thing then, but she was living in a cottage that didn't belong to her. She was living on someone else's estate. You know, mm. um, I don't know how well to do Mrs. Best was. It was a cottage, so I'm assuming not you know, wealthy, wealthy, but by the sounds of it, her children did go to school. Um, I mean, you probably, I don't know when council tenancies became a thing, to be honest, but you were looking 18th century, did you say she was? Uh, the 19th century, so late 1800s. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, you had wasn't quite social housing as much as, you know, sort of quite often it would be wealthy landowners would, you know, sort of use some of that land for tenant buildings. And I've got a lot of stories about it. Unfortunately, they're all based in Hertfordshire, so not really applicable to this one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you we'll get some awful, awful stories of these places. And, again, yeah, there are a lot of those hauntings, a lot of those, you know, sort of uh, – a lot of those um, poltergeist stories, a lot of these, uh, they all happen around those poorer areas, you know. Um, and quite often with uh, witchcraft, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point, um, you know, it's, it's usually poorer, older women in that sense. But, you know, again, people who are working class being accused. Mm. Or doing the accusing. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's it's a strange one. I even thought initially that maybe it's like houses settling, but then you're looking at like Penn Hill was built in the 50s. The first case is in 63. It's not going to be like the ground settling, is it? It's No, I mean, hmm. and again, going back to that working class point, I mean, historically you could have probably attributed some of that to sort of more working class, poorer people having a bit more superstition about them, you know? Um, but I yeah. think by the 70s, I don't know if that's quite true anymore. No, but we've already mentioned that The Exorcist came out that year. This is true. This is true. Although not before. Didn't you say there was one before that? There is one, yeah, which I didn't have an awful lot of detail on. But there was one in 63. 63, Westbury Road. So it's the same street. Happens 10 years before The Exorcist comes out. Were there any films before that? Not that had such an impact, I guess. I don't think so. No, I mean, that's the thing. I was very quick to blame The Exorcist, but, you know, it's not like they were saying, our oh, child is possessed, look, you know, sort of let's get Father Merrin, you know. It, it was, you know, it, it, was a very, it was a different form to what The Exorcist took, I guess. So... Cases did rise after the film came out, though. There were more exorcisms performed, I think, in the year that followed than anything previous. Oh, 100%, 100%. I'm just wondering now, which I didn't check, but on all the other dates, I wonder what films came out. Like 75, <laughs> 82, 1990. What was that? 1990's got to be Poltergeist, right? Yeah, I guess so. 1990, like, yeah. It's... What came out in 2000? 13 Ghosts. I'm just... <laughs> Yeah, I wonder whether, though, the dates do line up with pop culture to some extent. That would be something to look into. Uh, that would explain sort of why in 91 everyone was reporting those 
killer robots coming around and you know so <laughs> best best just side note best few years for films the early 90s oh yeah yeah um but yeah i don't know that that's interesting that might be something to look into yeah hmm. um just seeing if i've got anything else in my notes we haven't mentioned oh i, I did bring up <clears throat> i do have a quote from nandor fodor um he claims that the whole thing is psychokinesis. Psychokinesis. That's that's interesting. Yeah. I've I have heard that. I might have read the quote. I don't know, but um Yeah, it's just one of those things again, though, is it's yeah. It seems to be stuff like psychokinesis is involved with like I guess people on heightened center hormones. Yeah. And uh yeah. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Um I almost feel like I reckon personally, I think most of the cases aren't people making them up, but that I don't think they're real partners. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think I'd, more, I'd lean more towards the psychokinesis. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is people like whether it is, as you say, baby brain or whether it's um, just where, you know, sort of certain weird noises you get, you know, like. I just for example, I've seen while I, you might have seen my eyes darting that way now and then. I've got the window slightly open; it's dark outside, but I keep seeing a white shape move in front of my window. I've now realised it's the <laughs> it's it's car headlights reflecting off of uh, the leaves on the trees. But um, just that sort of thing, you know. If you're tired, mm. if you're a bit on edge, and then you see that, you know, that becomes definitely someone walking by your window. You know, and I think yeah. little bits like that, I think, just build up. And if you're of a certain mentality or a certain superstition or a certain uh, sort of religious in a certain way, you it's quite easy to jump to that. We're definitely haunted. You know, mm. that's got to be a haunting. Now, I mentioned on the first episode, I think, about personal experience, about exploding head syndrome. Yeah. So, like we've experienced the same stuff we just didn't call an exorcist <laughs> yeah i'll speak for yourself you know i'll put my room <laughs> tomorrow tomorrow night yeah it's <laughs> but um no as you say but it's it's i think it's your mentality comes into it and yeah again like how afraid or upset or n of a nervous disposition you already are i mean i don't want to pass these experiences off like that i can't say for certainty but i'm I'd be willing to put money on the fact that plays into at least some of them. Mm. Um, so are we are we leaning on the side of skepticism for these stories then? Yeah, I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> fair, I, fair. I just I, I don't know. I find it interesting that there are so many cases in one area repeatedly when no one in the area seems to be aware of them. So it's not like they know that there are reports of Pottergeist on their street. So yeah. that's interesting. And it's not always, I said, about teenagers and... and. Well, you said that was quite a mix you had, you know, and only a few of them had kids. The ones at the end... Well, stated. The first two main cases were young adults with kids, babies. Yeah. I think one was a three-year-old. Um... 
the later shorter versions that I gave, we had a family, then a man, then a woman, then a family, and then a man. So yeah, it's a bit of a mix. Yeah, and I mean, go, going back to my one, you know, it's yeah, it was that very typical, you know, two young women um, mm-hmm. with with an older woman. Um, so you know, sort of a, essentially a family unit, um, and they, you know, the 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 weird thing is, was the account from two like a very skeptical person saying, you know, sort of no, I'd have heard them move. I mean, I'm sort of saying they couldn't have moved. You know, they they probably know the room better than the the schoolmaster does. So you know, there, there's every chance they could have crawled out of bed and made these scribbles, and it was very sus the fact that they. Uh, you know this this entity insisted that they leave the room and only the girls and uh, Mrs. Best stay there. But um, yeah, so I, I'm leaning on the side of that's yeah, load of cobblers myself. But <laughs> I'd like to cover that Victorian era at some point as well. The whole oh, it's so rich. It's so yeah. There's with so all the much. spirit cabinets and stuff. I think well, that's yeah. it, and it it was being taken very seriously as well. Which I find mm. fascinating, like just the the mix of mysticism and academia, like going mm. in on it back then is is just yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So as I say, we'll stick a pin in that, and um, I think we will stick a pin in the idea that we come back to that other case I mentioned. I've forgotten the lady's name now. Um, yeah, but she gets involved with that stuff as well, so maybe. Might be worth doing like a two-parter. Yeah, we'll we'll revisit it. We'll revisit it. Shall we do some weird news? Shall we do some weird news? Um, Is there an echo? <laughs> so, you want to go first? Or should I? Uh, you go first, because I did the last story for the panel. Okay, stuff, so, okay. Yeah. Um so this one is from sorry if my face is now illuminated um i've opened the browser this one comes from the dorset echo so nice and local yeah and it's not the weirdest of newses but um i think it, it it fits in quite nicely um they've they did a study recently or a survey um and this was done by um uh park holidays and they've been trying to find the most haunted holiday destinations in the country. And first, of course, was Dorset. It turns out Dorset is the most haunted holiday destination in the country. Um, They've very cutely called it Scariest Staycation. Um, After that, it was Norfolk, and then the Cotswolds in third place. So, yes, I'm not sure the study group they went with, but um, they when they they basically looked into um, sort of prominent ghost stories uh, associated with the country that are quite well known and sort of quite strong stories. And apparently Dorset has 18 of them. So there you go. Um, not saying that it's better than Wiltshire, but you know, just just saying, it's scary. I mean, we didn't make the list, so <laughs> you but might have we... one in the top three. If we didn't make the list, we don't exist. Remember, we can't. Well, that make is true. List. That is true. <laughs> not even a real county. So, what have you got? What have I got? I had a couple of choices, so I got to quickly choose which one to go with. All right, I'll go with that one. 
But I, I do have a slight, I can do a quick runner-up headline because I didn't want to do the story, but I like the headline. Go on. Are you having a giraffe? Man tries to buy giraffe from zoo. Nice. It's not particularly weird, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> I mean, I bet it was weird for the zookeeper who had to deal with that guy. He's threatening to sue because they won't sell him a giraffe. <laughs> it's the long and short of it. <laughs> Is it in America? Um, No, Blackpool. Oh, so, yeah, so what I will go with is, I suppose we've got to quote our sources. So, from Sky News, the pond mysteriously turns bright pink in Hawaii as experts reveal why it's a cause for concern. It's got, I don't know whether you can see it, because I've got it on my phone. Uh, look how pink that is. Oh, that is very pink. Yeah. Curious onlookers have been flocking to the pond after images first appeared on social media. Volunteers at the, I think it's Kelia Pond National Wildlife Refuge. Um, some have been around the water for 70 years, so they've never seen anything like it. While some might think it's fun, officials think the cause of the pond turning pink could be concerning. Have they um, have they given a cause? So they don't know at the moment. Initially, they thought it was toxic algae, but a lab test found out that that's not the cause. Um, so the current theory is an organism called halobacteria, which is a type of single-celled organism that thrive in bodies of water with high levels of salt. Um, the salinity inside the Kelia pond outlet area is currently twice the salinity of seawater. The pond has previously been through periods of drought and high salinity, and it remains a mystery why the colour has changed now. That, I'm going to add to that um, and just mention that there was also a lovely scene bubbling up from the sewers in New York and I'm just going to share my screen one last time he's gone mad with power I have see that oh that's like something from the turtles right um turns out it was actually dye used by the workers to detect leaks in the pipes but it bubbled up but um, I assume that there's a new Ghostbusters film coming out, so I just assumed that they were uh, promoting that. I was going to say, is that a hearse behind? <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's Slimer. It's blatantly Slimer. But yeah, you can mm. imagine you're walking down a street in New York and this bubbling green slime starts coming out of the... Uh, That's pretty cool. That's not yeah. quite a potential scarier reason as, you know, <laughs> not, nothing to do with drought, but... You know, I thought it was quite impressive, nonetheless. I nearly chose that. I think that would have been quite a quite a thing if we'd have both chosen mm. off weird coloured water and slime. I, uh, I like the fact that you went with something that was Wessex based. I did look <laughs> Wessex, and I couldn't find anything. So it's, it, it was the only Wessex that, yeah, for for the most haunted county, I, I was struggling. But you know, need some more those crop circles up your way. Long time of year. We do get them quite frequently. Maybe next year we'll do some on-site stuff because we've had two in our village in the last couple of years. Really? Yeah. Exactly. So we've there. Yeah, wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's um there there there's a little bit in it apparently how that how it's bent. They're like if the stalk the way the stalks are bent if they're just bent over like they've been pushed they're saying oh that's probably just kids or just people doing it but they're saying some of them like the little like um. The, the knobbly bit, for lack of a better word, on the stalk, if that's bent in half, they're like that, that you shouldn't do that if you're just pushing it over. 
Um, I know someone was arguing for some crop circles being more mysterious than others that way anyway, but I'm sure we can cover that in another episode. I, I think we should. I think it's, um, especially as Wiltshire is probably one of the top counties, or county, one of the top places, I should say, in the world. It is. I, I think it is the biggest, one of the, if not the biggest hotspot for it. Um, no fairies, though. No. Mm. Keep rubbing that one in, don't you? I do, I do. We'll do a whole <laughs> one on fairies, and you'll just have to sit there and... Next time, next time we record, I'm going to come dressed as a fairy just to prove you wrong. <laughs> they <laughs> do have my wings. On. <laughs> I think that about covers it for tonight, though. It does. Um, so yeah, we're going to record again fairly soon after this for a Christmas special. Oh yeah, tell them about that. Um, and we're going to have a special guest for our Christmas special, and we're going to talk. Things I don't want to say ghosts at Christmas. I think we're going paranormal, right? I mean, is it Santa? It's not Santa. Sorry, um, I have had Santa on my other podcast before, but yes, you have. <laughs> um, no, so it's a guy. He's Welsh. He lives in York. Any guesses? Oh, would his name be Jimmy? It is. Jimmy the Welsh Viking is going to come on. And he does um, ghost walks in York. That's our our first guest. Yes. Um, And so he's going to bring us, I believe he's going to bring us some Christmas-related paranormal stuff. Again, I've kept it vague, so I'm hoping we maybe don't have ghosts, but we'll see. Do Do we have to... Do we have to come with anything, or do we get to sit there and with milk? No, no, you got to do your normal job. Oh, gotta, I was hoping I could sit a... there with like milk and cookies and yeah, you know, listen. No, to so you're Christmas going to bring a Christmas story. Christmas paranormal story, um, and I've asked him if he can possibly bring us some weird news as well. So we should have three lots of weird news and three lots of Excellent. Christmas paranormal stories. I don't know if he's going to go fictional or real. I've kind of left it vague enough, so we'll see what happens. I figure we're uh, are we are we to make him stick to Wessex or does he get to bring us some from his home? Yeah, we'll let we'll let him do. He's in York, so be grateful we've got a guest, Andy. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I'm not salty that it's not Santa. I'll look forward to Jimmy. <laughs> I'll ask him to wear a hat. How's that? There you go. I think we all should. Yeah, let's do it. I'll ask him. Fantastic. I'm going to the reenactors market. Maybe I can get a ridiculous one there. All right, so thank you for watching this month and remember to like and subscribe and, yeah, tell everyone about your favourite show that's weird and about Wessex. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.